Hey, so I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you're an artist yourself and you want some insider tips, insights, and general advice from artists you respect. One aspect of the business we sometimes discuss on Best Advice is rollout strategies. When you're dropping new music, you want to give it the best chance of getting heard. It's all about reaching the right listeners at the right time. That's why our team at Spotify for Artists built Marquee. Marquee is a marketing tool for turning listeners into bigger fans of your new music. With Marquee, you can send full screen recommendations of your latest album, EP, or single to the right fans as soon as they open the app. Listeners who see your Marquee are twice as likely to save your tracks, making it a better way to develop your audience than trying to drive streams from social media. To find out more, go to artists.spotify.com slash marquee. Welcome to The Payoff. I'm Chris Duffy. And I'm Antonia Cerejido. This show is your audio companion to all of Mike's money and personal finance coverage on the web at mike.com slash payoff. This week, we're taking on a topic that's been very big in the news lately that a lot of my friends have been asking about, personal financial security. That's right. In a previous episode, we helped our friend Gary Richardson figure out what to do when he thought his identity might have been stolen. Yeah, if you want to listen to that episode, it's called Saving a Financial Life, and it's definitely worth a listen if you haven't heard. And also, congratulations to Gary. It was just announced that he is joining the writing team at Saturday Night Live for this upcoming season, so his financial problems are solved. (laughs) Not thanks to us. Not thanks to us. Thanks to Lauren Michaels. But you know, we saved the financial life in other ways. But this week, we're going to teach you about what to do to prevent anything shady from happening to your identity so you can be protected. And we're talking about this now because, as some of you must have heard, a data breach at Equifax, one of the agencies that monitors all of our credit, might have exposed the data of up to 75% of adult Americans to spammers and hackers. But what does that actually mean? Should I really be worried? And what should I do in response to this whole thing? In today's episode, we're going to get answers to all of those questions. Plus, we'll talk to an expert about how companies could be better financially protected in general. In our first segment, we're bringing back Mike Payoff editor Susie Popek to walk us through what happened with Equifax and what we should each be doing about it. I definitely need that because now I'm a little worried about my own identity. No need to worry. Susie is going to guide us. And then in our second segment, we're going to talk with an online security expert who's done security work for banking, online shopping, and healthcare companies. And he's going to help us peer into the world of how these companies who are giving our information to keep our information safe or more likely don't keep it safe. So stick around. You're not going to want to miss this. Welcome back. So a lot of you have probably been hearing and seeing news stories in the last few weeks about the credit agency Equifax and how they had this massive hack. Yeah. And I know when I saw this, I was really freaked out because on our Gary Richardson episode, we learned how important Equifax is. Yeah, I remember that. That they're one of the keepers of our financial permanent records here. So I understand that, but I still don't quite understand how big a deal this hack is. Lucky for us, we've got Mike's payoff editor extraordinaire, Susie Popik, here to explain exactly what happened with the hack, what it means, and what each of us should do. Susie, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, so first things first, what happened with Equifax? The facts as we know them are that a big hack 
was discovered on July 29th of this year, and it affected 143 million people. Oh, my God. So that's like half the U.S. That's nearly half the U.S. population, and it's more than half of grown-ups with credit cards. Okay. (laughs) Oh, my God. One of the scandalous things about this story is that it wasn't until September that the company made public that they knew about this breach. So they knew for months before. And one of the other scandals here was that uh, some of the executives had sold a bunch of their stock before they announced it publicly. Before disclosing? Yeah. Like, are you serious? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, a couple of executives sold stock just in at the very beginning of August. When we talked to the company spokesman, they claimed that the executives in question did not know and were not aware of the breach at that time. It was just a total coincidence that I happened to sell stock that <laughs> would then become less valuable. That's crazy. That's what the company's saying. They, they are acknowledging a lot of missteps. And in fact, that's why the CEO stepped down this week as well. So what does this mean? What does the breach mean? What, what kind of, I mean, obviously, we talked about how Equifax has a ton of information, but like worst case scenario, what are these companies going to do with this info? So the the scary thing is that we're talking about things like your social security number. We're talking about information that someone could use to open up a line of credit, for example, in your name. And uh, you've talked to guests on previous episodes who, what, had boats bought in their name? And... Well, he thought he had a boat bought, but it turned out <laughs> that maybe it wasn't. But he definitely had someone being using his account in a way that wasn't him. Right. And, and there are these horror stories. Um, if you do get caught in identity theft hell, we're talking about things like stolen tax refunds, um, medical debt that isn't yours. You know, of course, credit card debt that isn't yours. And that can make it hard, let's say, if you want to take out a loan for a car or a mortgage and any other, you know, if you want to apply for a credit card that requires a good credit score, your credit score could be hurt by fraudulent activity under your name. So after the Equifax um, news broke, I logged into their website and I checked, you know, their little tool that said, like, check to see if you were affected. And it was like, unfortunately, you may have been affected. Same thing. I, I had the same message. Yeah. Um, so there's been some confusion over whether using that website is a good idea to even begin with um, right what, now. That even checking whether you're affected could have been bad? That's right. So now that's been sort of clarified, but the correct website to use is EquifaxSecurity2017.com. Even the name of their website is so stupid. It's like, couldn't you make it easier to remember than like Equifax Security 20? Why is there why are there numbers in there? <laughs> not, These people are so bad at customer service. It just infuriates me. <laughs> not only um, is it a little hard to remember, but in fact, it was spoofed. And the website securityequifax2017.com was bought by a... I would argue a good Samaritan who essentially designed the site to look like a phishing site, but set it up to criticize how the company was handling the situation. Mm. And to make matters worse, Equifax actually accidentally tweeted the that fake site no. from their official no. company Twitter account. Wait, hold up. I'm so confused. So the fake site has what on it? It's not going to hurt you, yeah. but it's designed to be like a site that could be set up by a scammer to make the point that... How easy it would have been for a scammer to do it. Exactly. And And then they tweeted that site out. Exactly. Honestly, it's (laughs) like, on the one hand, I guess it's like reassuring that this is public information so that, you know, it's not happening. But on the other hand, like knowing that your financial information is being held by people who seem to barely have enough intelligence to function is just so terrifying. I've never seen you this emotional it's, about anything. It's so, because I'm it like, you're supposed to be the ones, shocking. they're the ones who are judging us, right? Like our right. credit scores go through them, and then I'm like, oh, 
how are you guys doing? Oh, you're getting an F on everything. And you're going to tell <laughs> me that my credit is only good and not excellent? How dare you? So long story short, you go to the correct website. You type in your, you know, some of your information. You find out whether or not you were, you may have been affected. They, You are prompted to sign up for this thing called Trusted ID. Uh, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, on their site suggesting what you can do does not suggest that you do that. Um, there are other steps, however, that you can take if you are worried. Okay, so it's been a couple of weeks, too, since this happened. Yes. So um, I assume that we would have heard if there were like a there was a huge rash of new identity thefts. It sounds like maybe that hasn't happened. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And sometimes, you know, as we've discussed before, it takes it can take months, weeks, months and even years to discover that you have um, that someone has stolen your identity and has been using it. So that might be just like holding that info. Certainly. Um, and so another later. another <laughs> you're, you're, you're listening at home, so you can't see this. But Antonia is miming like cuddling with her personal info. <laughs> so, so another worrisome statistic is that even though um, a majority of consumers in a recent survey said they are familiar with the Equifax hack, only 10 percent of credit card holders have placed a credit freeze in the wake of the, comp- the of the data breach. So, you know, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But nobody's doing anything or very, very few people are doing what they need to to protect their identities. Okay, so what should we do? There we go. All right. So, well, here's a first question. When's the last time you guys checked your credit reports? I have to admit something really embarrassing because I do the show. I've never checked my credit report. There we go. So this is, no, this is a good moment because a lot of people, you know, you're not alone. This is the moment that, you know, we're all, all 143 million of us need to start, you know, taking uh there's a financial advisor who calls this identity hygiene like taking these basic identity hygiene steps i feel like because credit reports are something like if i'm not eating well i look bad so i'm like okay i guess i should like do that or like if i'm not like cleaning my apartment like i'm like ugh, i don't like living in this if i don't know my credit report is bad like how is that affecting like i don't have to look at my like bad credit report like zit face or something i don't know (laughs) well you know you might be pleasantly surprised that it's not that bad and and once you do it once you'll then it'll become part of your you know schedule and you can actually get three free credit reports every year i would suggest if you've never pulled them before pull all three at once you can pull them from equifax experian and transunion once a year for free. And once you've done that one time over the next few years, I actually suggest you stagger them out so that you get them what 12 divided by three is four. So once every four months. Story checks out. Yep. <laughs> and uh, that is the very first basic step everyone should be doing. And, and you should be doing this no matter what, even if your identity does not seem to be stolen and even if you don't show up in this site. However, if you're like you know me and Chris and you did get that scary message, you can consider placing a credit freeze on your files. Okay, so I did this. I was wondering if this Great. was the right thing to do. That but is the right thing to do. Also, because I How do, do a lot of... How do you always know the right thing to do? Well, because I do a lot of freelance work, like I frequently have to send emails to people that are like, here's an invoice with my tax info. So I, I send out my social security number a lot. And I just have kind of assumed like my social security number is probably out there. Like you can't send it out as much as I do without someone not being secure with it. 
So I looked into like, what could I do? And yes. security freeze is what I heard is the best thing. But I That's right. What does that mean? What I was going to say yeah. I did it, but I don't understand. So essentially, it, it can be a little annoying because if you place it, we actually had an editor here at Mike who did, you know, place the credit freeze and then tried to open up a new credit card and didn't understand why she couldn't do so. And, and that's because you actually have to lift the freeze every time you take out credit. But the nice thing is that that means a thief cannot take out a line of credit in your name. So it's basically that anytime someone tries to like open an account that they would go and ask for your credit score and now they can't get your credit score because as the freeze says like no new credit. There is actually a difference between getting a credit score, pulling a credit report and taking out a line of credit, which is probably not worth going into great detail about, but I, but yes, you you get the general idea that it, you know, it will protect you in a stronger way than a, there's a weaker protection which is called a fraud alert and that lasts only 90 days. A credit freeze lasts until you lift it. And wait, wait so to... once you get the freeze, you never lift the freeze unless you want to open another line of credit and then you put the freeze back on? Yep, that's right. Um, it, it, and it's, you know, it's, it's not that inconvenient as long as you just remember to do it. Um, and uh, But if you don't remember, you would just get rejected. And then you'd be like, why did I get rejected? Yeah, and then rejection is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean. Yeah, the, other, right. the other thing that's not fun is placing a credit freeze is not free in every state. It's free in some states. And it costs, we actually have a story on payoff at Mike um, about how much it costs in every state. So you can look that up easily. Um, and you and, just search for credit freeze payoff at Mike? Sure. Uh, and then, you know, how much it costs in each state it should come up in Google pretty easily. And the one other thing I'll mention is the FTC recommends that you file your taxes as early as possible because, um, unfortunately, placing a credit freeze will not protect you from, say, a thief who wants to steal your tax refund. Ooh, mm. that's terrifying. Wait, tell me more about that because I, I, I did not know about this at all. Well, you, if they have your social security number, they can apply for a job in your name. They can um, they can do all kinds of shady things. So now I'm I'm not positive, but I think I'll probably owe money on my taxes. Yeah, I was about to say, you don't, you're not somebody who gets a lot of refund. Yeah, so are, it, does it sound like you're saying that uh, a hacker might potentially apply for jobs and pay my taxes for me? <laughs> uh, probably not, but that's, that raises another great point. Lift the freeze, Chris. Um, Lift that freeze. You can have it, hackers. Please, go <laughs> for it. A lot of people want to get a big tax refund because it's fun. It's nice to get oh a check. God, I love it, except for the fact that I haven't been getting mine, but I should be. Sorry. But, um, you know, if you actually think about it, whenever you're getting a refund, it means that you gave an interest-free loan to the government and you overpaid the government and they're just paying you back your money. But that's money you could have put in an account that earned interest. So you, it's an opportunity cost. Oh, my God, you're right. So, you know what? Owing taxes might actually be the best thing this year, especially given the Equifax hack. So the freeze is one option. Anything else that people can do to to protect their information? I'm glad you asked. There's one more <laughs> thing that you can do, and it's it's so simple. It's just monitoring your bank accounts and your credit card statements for charges that you don't recognize. It's, again, good hygiene, good money hygiene. Um, and if you find that annoying and, and troublesome, there are apps, you know, Mint, other spending apps that will help you track that stuff just like with an alert on your phone. Antonia, have you ever had uh, someone make fraudulent charges on your credit card? No. I did once, and it was really weird because they kept going back to this expensive fish bar like three times in Chris, a day. You, I think you've told this story not only to me 8,000 times, but on this podcast. I honestly just can't get over how much <laughs> raw fish can you eat in one day. <laughs> Hundreds of dollars of fish. It's unbelievable. Okay, so I'm going to I'm gonna go away from the same story you've told a million times and ask actually a last question that I'm very curious about, which is... <laughs> Can a freeze affect your credit score? 
Great question. Um, the FTC also clarifies that a credit freeze does not affect your credit score. It doesn't prevent you from getting that free annual credit report or three free annual credit reports. And it shouldn't prevent you from opening any new accounts um, as long as you lift the freeze temporarily. Um, ditto if you are applying for a job or renting an apartment or buying insurance. So if if you're out there, it sounds like Antonia and I both uh, need to do a couple of steps, right? Like, no matter <laughs> what. Sounds like I need to do all of the steps. You need to do all of the steps. I need to do some of the steps. No matter what, you should be uh, paying attention to what's going on in your accounts. You should probably create a credit. Uh, you should probably create a security freeze, and you should definitely. Uh, file your taxes as soon as you can. Yeah, that's and and I know it's not sexy, but the idea of checking your credit cards very uh, regularly, it really is important because unfortunately, a credit freeze actually doesn't prevent a thief from making charges to existing accounts. Oh, Susie, I disagree. I think there is nothing sexier than looking at the dire financial situation I'm in regularly. (laughs) Well, Susie, thank you so much for explaining this to us. My pleasure. And uh, if people want to keep up with future developments on this story, where should they look? Uh, Good question again. Uh, Mike.com slash payoff. We will be on this story like white on rice. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. All right. Thank you so much, Susie. What a pleasure it was to talk to you. Welcome back. So a big part of business security is spending money to protect your systems online. But how exactly can you do that? And why does it seem like these big hacks just keep on happening no matter what we do? I really don't understand. Here to help us out, joining by phone, is Matthew Pascucci, a security architect, privacy advocate, and security blogger. He holds multiple information security certificates and has been writing and speaking about cybersecurity for the past decade. Matthew, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys, for having me. So we did a little digging into your online identity, a.k.a. we stalked your LinkedIn page. And uh, you've done... Mm, Nice. (laughs) We found out that you've done some security work for an online bank, a major online florist site, and New York's biggest healthcare provider. Um, Between those three, is there any sort of security threat you haven't had to deal with? We've seen quite a bit. So I don't want to say we haven't seen everything because everything's changing and everything is is kind of new. But the techniques the hackers use, they're they're very similar. So Mm. these guys are... They're smart, but at the same time, they're, they're they're not looking to break new ground many times. They're looking for that low-hanging fruit to get in. So. Yeah. And I imagine that uh, whenever I use an online florist, I think this must be more <laughs> secure than my bank. I'm glad to know you're working on both. Got to keep the flowers safe. Got to keep everything safe. So what do you what do you mean everything is changing? What's changing? So so techniques will change. The way that the attackers pivot, they'll find things that are working, and they'll go for it. And then as, as security defenses increase or, or people like um, – like the security architects get more involved, you know, we try to take that landscape and, and we try to, to reduce the risk there. And then as they see that happening, a lot of times, the majority of the times, these guys are going to go pivot towards another area, another vulnerability, another way in. But the majority, I'd say the majority of the way that we see people um, get in first is everyone from these bad guys, they're always using something called phishing. So phishing is, you know, mm-hmm. sending out a, an email or a text or even a, even a, even a call that's going to, you know, kind of trick people into doing things they might not have done in the past. So from a financial standpoint, it's like, hey, this wire transfer just happened at your bank. You know, can you approve it? 
and you get worried and you click on a link that you might not have done in the past because now it's, there's fear involved and suddenly you get malware or ransomware and then you have, you know, you're going on the dark web trying to pay bitcoins to some random guy in Russia. <laughs> it seems also like, like when I think about trying to keep myself secure in the real world, right? Like I understand that I don't like take my money out and count it on the train at night or something like that. That obviously seems really risky and <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if I got robbed after that. But then online, it feels like a lot of where people are getting robbed or where this stuff is happening isn't actually because of anything I did. It's because mm. someone else is leaving the keys in the door and they just happen to have my money, right? Like I can't control how the bank is keeping themselves safe. I can't control how Equifax is keeping themselves safe. And it seems like that's where a lot of these breaches are coming, not because of me, but because of the other people who have my money. Um, yeah, I would say it's a little bit of both. I would personally say that the banks have their stuff together. They're mm. good. They're regulated by the government. There's regulation that's out there. The banking sector needs to follow something called FFIEC. So these are regulations that are going over and saying these are the bare minimum levels of security that a financial institute should be doing. New York State, as of this year, two months ago, came out with something called uh, the NYS DFS regulation. So the New York State Department of Financial Services, and they made a just cybersecurity regulation. So this is just purely cybersecurity. So from that perspective, you know, New York State is saying, we have the majority of financial institutes here. We're going to flex our muscles and we're going to say, you need to do what we tell you to do. So that's a big thing. So Equifax was hit because there was a, a, a patch uh, that wasn't applied. that was vulnerable. Uh, 144 million people had their social security numbers pulled out. Um, and that was left because of a patch. And, you know, patching is, is incredibly um, important today. It's the most, I'm saying it's the most unsexy thing you can do from a security standpoint, but it's the most beneficial thing you can do. Yeah. What, what is a patch? And it's not like a quilting okay. thing. Cause that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not a quilt. So when you, if you're on windows, you're in your Mac and you're on your iPhone and say, Hey, new iOS update or new security update, that's a patch. So it's a patch is a fix of your software that you're using. That's going to um, remediate a hole in it or okay. give you an update. So a lot of times we get these patches. So, you know, what happens is um, either researchers or the application people themselves will determine that our, our systems are now vulnerable. We have to go out and put out a patch to fix it. So it's, it's good again. Um, that's, that's great for, for everyone because then we can go and fix those holes. But it's also really bad because then the attackers know Hey, there's a weakness there. Let's make our malicious software, our viruses, our malware to go affect that. Does that affect, so if I don't update my phone, am I also more open to attacks? If it's an iOS device, if it's an Apple device, yeah. eventually you're going to be forced to. I, I think it's great that Apple does that. They, they kind of force you to go and do good security. Um, the major issue we see with, with Android devices is sometimes it's dependent on the hardware provider on when patching can come down, when they can get certain patches, and things are left vulnerable. But just because you're fully patched as well does not mean that you'll, you're not going to fall for you know, a phishing scheme where someone sends you an email in where we've seen, you know, personally where I've seen the most risk from finances is people, you know, malicious actors sending out phishing emails or emails that are going to preempt you to do something you probably wouldn't do in, in the past where you're nervous now or maybe you're not paying attention and you click on a link in an email and suddenly it drops down mal malware or you know, malicious software on your, on, your, on your system. I'm also really surprised because to me, I never think about updates as 
something that is useful for me. It always seems like this kind of just annoying pop-up where it's like, please do this, please do this. And, you know, like <laughs> the neediest part of your computer where they're like, pay attention to me. But I, I, I think that if they if they told you that uh, if you don't update, you're going to get robbed. Like, this is your identity. This is us trying to protect you from being robbed. Uh, people would, I think, be a lot happier about clicking on updates. Yeah, that's, that's where we come down to security awareness. So... From being in the security industry, everyone tries to go out there and do the cool, shiny, sexy toys, all these things that everyone wants to go out there and buy the new presents where everyone needs to go back, take a step back, focus, and start doing the basics. Hmm. And part of the basics is awareness, patching, something called vulnerability management, where it's, I know where I'm vulnerable, you know, reducing your risk. These, these are the things that people need to start focusing on. And the industry is, the cybersecurity industry is huge. And at the same time, it, it gets a little confusing because people try to follow the newest and greatest trends where we should really just be doing the basics to start with. When you say people, do you mean companies in terms of who needs to be paying attention to these basics? Correct. Yeah. Um, the majority of the companies today, I guess it was about three or four months ago when that massive ransomware outbreak, not Petya, half of Europe was covered in ransomware. Like this is happening because no one put on a patch that was released three months prior. And they're like, oh, this is just a patch. Okay, we're not going to do it. And it costs it costs billions upon billions of dollars. I mean, it, it stopped it stopped industries, it stopped hospitals, you know, it stopped um, shipping, you know, and that was because of a patch. This is where you know, once that happened, I started doing a lot of writing and a lot of just awareness. Be like, we need to, as an industry, from this commercial standpoint, really go out there and really just do the basics. Because if we're not doing the basics, you know. We're, we're going we're gonna to get owned. Owned meaning you're going to get hacked. So, yeah. Are companies financially responsible when they don't update their systems? So, for instance, with, with, with what happened in Europe, who's going to, what, what's been resolved because of that or what's happened since? Um, they are going to be, well, now that's a, that's a really good question. So now there's a big thing that's considered cyber insurance. So, you know, the insurance companies are trying to get involved here. Um, they're going out there. You can buy cyber insurance as an organization. You, have, you can have very large premiums that come in. They do sort of a risk assessment on your network and your systems and then determine how vulnerable you are. And that kind of determines your premium. Um, if you were to get hacked, they would give you money. So as an example, Target got millions upon millions and millions of dollars back from their cyber insurance provider when they got hacked. Um, a lot of other companies probably have similar ones. So they, they should be taking that. I know with the Equifax breach from three weeks ago, there, there's a lawsuit now out. There's a civil suit you know, that's going out there and suing them. So this is going to cost them a ton of money, um, especially if there's anything within privacy policies and stuff along those lines that when you sign up and you click yes to the privacy policy saying we won't do this with your data and they find out maybe they were. So it, it depends on the situation, but it in no way is it good. Yeah. So uh, as a cybersecurity expert, what keeps you up at night? <laughs> um, what keeps me up at night? So a lot of the stuff, a lot of things, you know, I deal with a lot of clients. So you know, we've seen a lot of just internal issues. So most of the threats that I've seen are going to come from a few different places, right? So it's going to be a, a nation state, so a country attacking you for whatever, for whatever reason. And most of the time when a country attacks, it's going to be um, because they want some intellectual property, right? So that's like what happened. Um, with North, it, it, North Korea did that to Sony, right? Like they didn't like that movie that Seth did. Rogen made, and then all of a sudden, Sony, this huge company, was totally di uh, out in the open. Yeah, they did that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was more of a revenge type of issue. But you'll see 
a lot of the uh, you know of Russians they're looking to disrupt, right? We've seen the elections, we know what's going on. We have you know cyber gangs, and the cyber gangs they're looking to make money, and that's a lot of the ransomware, that's a lot of the just the tax on organizations that they're holding them accountable, um, stealing people's information, selling it on the dark web. Um, that's that's kind of what they're doing. And then you have something that's more insider threatish. So you have someone sitting in your network who works there, has legitimate access, has a username and password. Are they stealing things from you? Mm, yeah, that's like that's like what happened with Snowden. He didn't hack the NSA. Yeah. He had access. Yeah, as, as a consultant. That's right. Yep. And that happens. And you know, corporate espionage is a real thing. Wow. And it happens pretty. Yeah, you know, like someone leaves the organization and they're starting a new job at a competitor or somewhere else, you know, what did they take with them? It's interesting because, like, I feel like there's this lag where, you know, even the terminology, right, like cyber gangs, it, like, at one time <laughs> sounds so, like, tough and badass, and also on the other kind hand <laughs> sounds, like, kind of, like, nerdy and, like, like a bunch of guys in their basement. But it's, like, not people in their basement anymore. It actually is, like, no. the tough guys now. It's, like, real criminals who are in cyber gangs. These, it's organized crime is what we should be calling it at this point. Mm -hmm. um, these, and, and it is. There's actually organized crime. It's for real organized crime. These guys are there to make money. They can pay their way out of jail. This is, these are known things that are going on. That, you, know, you can go on the dark web. I'm sure you've heard of that before. But you can buy whatever you want. You can buy guns. You can buy drugs. The whole Silk Road thing that happened a few years ago, these guys are, are, are legitimately selling illegal goods. But at the same time, they have these these you know cyber organized crime groups that are very well funded. They they're they're not you know guys with hoodies on sitting in their mom's basement, um, you know in the dark. They're they're really they're out there and they're organized and they're 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 a lot more organized than people expect because when you you can actually go out there and buy ransomware kits. So ransomware where you, your machine gets encrypted and you got to go spend Bitcoin. If if you have an issue with with paying the Bitcoin. There's a support number. So you can call support to these bad guys and ask them, wow. I'm not going through. This isn't working. They have updates to their malware. We're saying the malware was their malicious software, like your viruses. They have updates. And we're saying updates. We need to do updates. The bad guys are doing it because they're making some serious money off it. So they're organized. They're taking the industry where we should be as the good guys and improving it and doing bad things. With it. Actually, it's very impressive. Yeah. That, that's also so much scary, right? The idea of like a precocious 15 year old stealing my social security number is like a little unnerving. But the idea of organized crime stealing it is way more terrifying. And, and encrypting my computer and making me pay a ransom to get it back is that is terrifying that that's not the future. That's the present. And, and they're they're getting paid. Some of these guys are getting paid. You know, I, I read an, an anonymous interview with it with a hacker. and He was getting paid millions of dollars a year. And he said, well, why would I go and want to do something legitimate? I'm sitting here in my own hours and I'm making millions. Right. So they're good. And, you know, they're, they're a lot smarter than you know, a lot of people give them credit for. But at the same time, there's these things called op open source tools where people make tools for free. They can hand them out. And then you have these, these other kids, these 15-year-olds these that are going out there and saying, you know what, I'm going to go use these tools because I'm a hacker today, not really knowing what they're doing and breaking stuff. You know, mm -hmm. as, as an example, there's something called um, DDoS you know, distributed denial of service. So you can send so much traffic or so much, so many requests to a site, like a website that will bring the site down because it's absorbed and it, it's, it can't handle it. So a lot of the kids these days, since everything is online, they forget to take a test. They don't want to take their SATs. They'll pay $5 in Bitcoin for someone on the internet to knock off their school so they don't have to take the test that day. And I've seen that in a incredibly amount of time. That's crazy. You know, that is, 
nuts. Wow. It, it, it's, it, it's nuts. So we have one last question for you, which is, is security online really even possible? I don't think security is completely possible in any way. What you can do is you can, re- you can reduce your risk. You can't be 100% secure. And if you ever get a vendor or a security person come up saying, we're going to make you 100% secure, you can walk them out the door because that is never possible. It's the reduction of your exposure and your risk. Um, there are certain things you can do from a, a personal standpoint. So, you know, make sure you're using good passwords. Um, we've seen a lot of things in the past where people have like, you're making these crazy ass long passwords. And it's like, well, I can't even remember that. So what, what we've done is we've made passwords difficult for humans to remember, but easy for machines to crack. Mm. So a, a confusing eight character password, you know, we can crack that with tools with within a matter of hours, if that. So it's difficult for you to remember. So then people just put silly passwords like their dog's name, where, you know, if you put a passphrase like Mary had a little lamb, something, 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 you can remember that. And suddenly that's 30 digits long, but you know it. So that's where we're trying to, you know, bring people towards, you know, using password safes. So there's, there's tools that you can download to protect yourself called like KeyPass, where they're encrypted. You go in there. You can pick a password that's just crazy long, and then all you're doing is copying and pasting. I personally use tools like that because I don't want to remember all my passwords. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, patch. You know, there's there's plugins for your browser that you can use. Um, one's called HTTPS Everywhere. So HTTPS S being um, the part that you know from the standpoint that encrypts so traffic that is leaving your browser is encrypted. So the plugin will always look for and always try to enforce that type of encryption. Um, another plugin called NoScript. So a lot of the times that you see a lot of these bad guys that infect your machine, they're, they're trying to run scripts, you know, this get extra code in your browser and this, this particular plugin stops that. So those are two very common um, ways to do um, locking malware from why you're using things personally. But a lot of it's phishing. A lot of it is just um, awareness and being careful if someone sends you you know, an email, you don't know who they are, and there's a link or an attachment, I wouldn't open it. Very large thing, just the last thing is always use two-factor authentication. Always, always. You'll see that everywhere. Um, there was a big company called Deloitte that was just recently compromised. They didn't have two-factor on. So when you log in, you get, you know, a text back with that digit, and then you log back in. That is 100%. Use that every time you can. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. Yeah, I think uh, I think I speak for both of us when I say that uh, we feel terrified but also better now that we've talked to you yeah i also i learned (laughs) so much yeah yeah and uh, matthew if people want to learn more about what you do where should they go um so i have uh, a blog frontlinesentinel.com and i work for a company called ccsi ccsinet.com all right matthew thanks so much for talking with us have a great day you too guys see you later and that's it for this episode subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, google play spotify or wherever you get your podcasts our theme music is from breakmaster cylinder and our producer is alan haberchak thank you alan and thanks everyone for listening if you want to help the show you can do that by going to apple podcasts and leaving a review for the payoff also if you have questions don't forget to send them in to payoffpod at mike.com lastly you can find out more about us on twitter at payoff by mike or online at mike.com payoff see you next time